Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 331 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. So glad you tuned in today as we continue to navigate this crisis together as it changes day by day. Um, really happy you're here. And uh, today, my guest is Gary Thomas. Uh, Gary's written a lot of books, and of course, we recorded this uh, before things changed dramatically, but I think you're going to find it helpful because Gary talks about toxic people. And uh, as the noise settles down, we are going to see some of the same patterns we've seen our entire life. And in the What I'm Thinking About segment later in this broadcast, uh, I'm going to talk to you about how to care for yourself so you don't become a toxic person. I don't know about you. I'm a little more tired than normal. Uh, Some of you are probably exhausted right now, and we'll look at that. Anyway, I'm excited you've tuned in. I think you'll find this extremely helpful. Dealing with toxic people, one of the most challenging things I've had to deal with in my leadership. And Gary is a best-selling author. He has sold many, many books, and he's written Sacred Pathways, Sacred Marriage, really well-known for that, and a lot of other things. So I'm glad he's joining with us. And this episode is brought to you by Pro Media Fire, who's got some brand new things for free for you during this season. And ICM, International Cooperating Ministries. As bad as things are here, uh, you have an opportunity to help around the world as well. So in the midst of the global panic, the church really has an opportunity to reach out with hope and love digitally. And so until Easter, which happens in mid-April this year, the Pro Media Fire team has come together to help churches spread peace and hope by sharing with you free social media graphics, videos, and strategies to reach people during this season. Uh, Maybe your feed is full of bad news. Um, You can help your church share the great news. And they just want to come alongside you and really help you in this season. So prior to Easter, here's what you can do. You can head on over uh, to greatnews.world. That's greatnews.world and get some free graphics that you can share. And that's courtesy of our friends at Pro Media Fire. And also things are tough around the world, but ICM, International Cooperating Ministries, have been involved around the world for a long time and they're trying to help the most vulnerable. So imagine as hard as this is for you, Being a church leader in India or Lebanon or South Sudan, I mean, not only would you not have access to a lot of the resources you and I have um, in your language, you may not even have a Bible that you could use regularly. And there's a great ministry called International Cooperating Ministries. They're a global leader in providing resources to indigenous church leaders. So they get behind local leadership. And they equip them. Since 1986, they've been doing this. They've equipped thousands of churches in more than 100 different countries all over the world. And as tough as it is here, I think some of the finest people say, you know what? I know I'm still going to help people who have it harder than I do. So if you're looking to make a difference somewhere else in the world, check out icm.org forward slash carry. That's icm.org forward slash carry. Uh, ICM is EFCA accredited. They have a four-star rating on Charity Navigator, and they're getting God's word into places that have never heard it before. You can start supporting them for $35 a month. So check out icm.org forward slash C-A-R-E-Y, Carrie. 
Now, just before we dive into the conversation with Gary Thomas, I do have a few episodes coming up where we are going to talk about the crisis uh, specifically here. And if you missed the crisis leadership episode that came out a little while ago, uh, you can just scroll back in your feed. That one was with Judd Wilhite, Kevin Queen, and Tricia Shortino. Um, I've got a few more like that coming, but here's what I'm doing. I've launched a second podcast with David Kinneman from the Barna Group. Comes out every week. Later in the week, it's called the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast. And we actually do live polling. Polling that actually we give you the ability to poll your church. And we bring you the latest results about how people are doing, how leaders are doing, what's happening. We interview panels of experts around this crisis. Uh, That comes out every single week. You can simply search Church Pulse Weekly. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, yeah, now I'm doing two podcasts a week. So that's one way to respond. And of course, on this main feed, we tackle the big issues and uh, we will be diving into that. And then on my platform, kerryneuhoff.com, I'm writing about the crisis. I've got a new free course that is in development right now called How to Lead Through Crisis. And it will help you learn how to cultivate a non-anxious presence care for yourself so the crisis doesn't break you, master the art of fast-paced decision-making based on limited data, find and interpret reliable data to help you advance your mission, and lead digitally when all the physical barriers and isolation has gotten in the way. And so uh, that course is coming very soon. You can check it out at howtoleadthroughcrisis.com, and we will have that for you very shortly, if not by the time you hear this episode. So Uh, That's what we're doing to try to help you through this. Uh, I am so grateful to our partners, Pro Media Fire and ICM, and organizations like them that continue to bring you this for free. And now, a subject that never really goes out of season, which is how do you deal with toxic people? Here's my interview with Gary Thomas. Well, Gary, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Carrie. It's it's such an honor. I love your show and... uh... Uh, this will probably be my least favorite episode this year, but oh, no, I'm, no, 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 I'm no. grateful to you to have me on. Well, we were talking ahead of time. We'd never met before, and it's humbling that you would actually know the show. But uh, I was saying, I think I first ran into your work two decades ago when Sacred Marriage came out. Was Sacred Pathways first or Sacred Marriage? Uh, Sacred Pathways was my second book. Sacred Marriage was my fourth book. There you go. Wow. Wow. And I got to tell you, both have been really, really helpful for my marriage, you know, holiness, not happiness. It's like, shucks, I got married to be happy. Like you kind of ruined my life. (laughs) Can can I just say though, Carrie, it's what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy. I'm not an instead of happy. And I, I know you know that, but I, when I got to redo the edition, which I love when you can kind of tweak things, I, I included the John Wesley quote when he said, I've never met somebody who's happy who isn't pursuing holy. Hmm. And, and it's true. If your that anger is isn't under control, if your negativity, if your materialism, you, you're not going to be a happy person. So holiness preserves happiness. It, they don't go to war with each other. Well, I got to tell you, after three decades of marriage, I think by the time this airs, it'll be 30 years for Tony and I. And uh, we are very happy and also a lot holier. <laughs> so, so, so that's good. So Wesley was right. And then Sacred Pathways too. It's really interesting. You know, it, one of those things about uh, our, I was hoping you would have put work. Is work actually a way that you get to know God? It's not really one of the pathways. My wife loves nature. So she always wants to go on walks. And I, 
I hear God as well in coffee shops as I do in nature, but it's just the different ways people connect with God, right? Well, that's the whole thing behind benedicting spirituality, isn't it? You know, you'll stay in the same place and you, you work hard. So certainly that would be one Mm. that you could mention. Um, I, I think a lot of that I might fold into what I call the ascetic pathway difficulty. I, I talk about the need to work in that pathway. It doesn't seem right there on the surface, but if you dive down a little bit, I think you'll see it in the ascetic pathway. Yeah. But my wife, like put her in the forest, put her in the woods, yes. put her on a beach. Yeah. She's like connected to God. A Pacific sunset, I would be like, okay, I think I feel a little bit closer to God now. Um, but it's so funny how we're all wired differently. And you've done such a brilliant job of uh, helping me see aspects of how people connect with God. I would also be intellectual. That's one of the categories, right? Yes, mm-hmm. yes, absolutely. I think my way to God <laughs> Which, or try, try anyway. Anyway, I just that's just a way of saying thank you for making a huge difference in just millions of lives and uh, mine included. But you got a brand new book that I really want to do a deep dive into. It's called When to Walk Away. And for those of you who may be watching on YouTube, this is what it looks like. It's a fantastic book. Um, And it's called Finding Freedom from Toxic People. So um, why'd you write it? I got to ask that. (laughs) (laughs) It exposed decades-long naivete on my part. Hmm. Uh, I had faced my own toxic situation found out somebody had been lying about me and undercutting me and it had been going on long term. And and now that I know this, I'm trying to think what's the responsible Christian thing to do. Hmm. And Carrie, I've got so many things I don't deserve. And at the top of that list is some really solid friends that Hmm. love me. They love the Lord. They're wise. They'll speak the hard truth. They'll speak the encouraging word. So I, I go to one of them who's been a marriage and family therapist for over 35 years, Dr. Steve Wilkie. He's down in California. And he'd been able to interact a little bit with the situation. I said, so what am I supposed to do? Do I confront this person? I know I'm going to see him. When's the right place to do that? And he shocked me when he said, my advice is that you don't engage him at all. And I would have thought that was a complete failure for Christians to look at that. And here's where he challenged me. He said, I want you to go to the book of Luke. Count how many times Jesus walked away from somebody or let somebody walk away from him without giving them chase. Hmm. And, and I was intrigued. I'm not clinically OCD, but I live in the neighborhood next door to it. So uh, yeah, when yeah. A, a counselor tells me to go to the book of Luke, I went to all four Gospels, eventually annotated each one. It's the appendix of the book. 41 citations in the four Gospels where Jesus walks away from someone or lets them walk away from him without him giving chase. Now, not always dealing with toxic people. I don't mm-hmm. think the rich young ruler is a toxic situation. And because you're dealing with the synoptic gospel, some referred to the same incident. But you still have so many occasions where Jesus was free to let people walk away or he chose to walk away without there being agreement and without there being reconciliation. And I, I can't tell you how mind-blowing that was. I lived under this assumption that if I would just build a fail-safe offense, be surrendered to the Lord, know the scriptures in and out, listen to the voice of God, be led by the Spirit, gain experience in ministry, that that there could be an answer for every situation. And 
he helped me see through Jesus that that wasn't the case. And, and one of the ways where I, it's amazing how blind I was, I, look, I started reading through the New Testament when I was eight years old. Okay. I was baptized at a Baptist church, and the uh, teacher of the time, grade school teacher of the time, gave me one of those very radical Bibles, good news for modern man, with the stick pictures in it. I remember and, that. And I, yeah. I, so I said, this is what I'm supposed to do. So I, I can't count how many times I've read the New Testament in the 50 years since then, because I'm, I'm 58. And I will make my wife's eyes roll over in her head when I quote Matthew 6.33 in a sermon, Seek First the Kingdom of God. She's told me before, Gary, it's possible to preach a sermon without Matthew 6.33. And I say, I know, but it's hard for me because it, it, it sets me up every day. I wake up. Okay, this day isn't about me. It's not about my enrichment. It's not about my pleasure. It's not about my reputation. What is it to be mean to seek first God's kingdom? Seven verses after Matthew 6.33 that I've quoted so many times. In Matthew 7.6, Jesus says, but don't give what is holy to dogs or throw your pearls before swine or else they'll turn and tear you to pieces. Hmm. So Jesus launches the church on the offense to be my people to know my salvation is to now live to build my kingdom, not your own. You have an agenda for the rest of your life. This is what it means to be part of, of me and to be in me. But then seven verses later, but you know what? As you're playing the offense, you need to learn to play a little defense because there's some people out there. I'm going to call them dogs. I'm going to call them swine. If you go into the Greek, you can't make the, that passage polite. You can't make it. It's not like, Oh, uh, you know, uh, slightly, moderately difficult person. It's like yeah. pigs and dogs. Okay. <laughs> I mean, dogs in first century Jerusalem, Romans and Egyptians kept dogs for pets, right? They, they were, Jews didn't. So he's talking about the smelly, mongrel, wow. yellow tooth, mangy dogs. And, and that's what he's saying. And then, you know, swine in Jerusalem, your listeners don't need that exegeted. And so he's saying, you can give them the be- a pearl. Again, we, we forget how valuable a pearl was. People have a string of pearls, not in the first century. I mean, Jesus hmm. had the parable about a man who gave everything he had for a single pearl. So you have this thing of great value. You give it to a pig, and the pig is too stupid to recognize the value. This is literally what Jesus is saying. <laughs> yeah. He can't eat it. He can't have sex with it. It can't give him a high. And so he spits it out and he's angry saying, you're messing with me. And I always thought, no, if I just give everybody these perfect pearl in the right way, in a contextual way, in a relevant way, in a loving way, they're going to see, oh, look at this gift. Look at this truth. Thank you. Just No, some people, they're going to tear you apart. Now, why did he say that? Because he didn't want us torn apart. He Mm. wants us to be so focused on our mission and so strategic in our mission that we don't spin our wheels with people that can't receive what God wants to give us. And I was blinded to that was an outlier to me. I I, I don't know. I was like, well, okay, yeah, he said it, but, you know, and then didn't grapple with it. And it wasn't until I saw the example of Jesus walking away, that I could receive the didactic part of him telling his disciples, 
you need to play defense as well as offense. So that's fascinating. There's so much there. I want to go back and only to the extent that you're comfortable because uh, it went by really fast. You said you had somebody who took advantage of you, who undercut you, who swindled. I think you used that word. Can you play that scenario out a little more without revealing too many details? Because I think we've all had someone who has mistreated us. And I think what you're getting at in the book, and I think you did a masterful job in the book, is the normal Christian response is, I just need to hang in with this person, pray for them, love them some more, and forgive them and be their best friend. And somehow it'll all be reconciled in the end. But that doesn't always work that way. So can you walk us back into a few more details of that scenario or other scenarios where, you know, what are some case studies? Because all of us have had toxic, toxic people in our lives. Let let, let me give another case study uh, that just faced, I I did a blog uh, several years ago you know, most people know me from my books on marriage. I started out writing spiritual formation. I still love to write about spiritual formation, but I'm sort of like a baker who wants to make croissants and everybody buys the donuts. <laughs> Eventually he says, okay, I'm going to sell donuts because my marriage books just, they do really well. And, mm. and getting people encouraged about spiritual formation is a much harder sell. And when you're trying to, you know, it's your life as well, your, your income as well as your ministry, it's, it's a challenge. And so I, but I just did this blog about enough is enough, uh, urging the church to support women in abusive marriages. I'd actually been to a large conference in, in Canada. Mm. <laughs> You're probably, it, it's the largest conference in Canada for women yearly. You, you probably know which one it was. And I just think by divine design, all of these women, I'd, I'd given a talk and all these women were talking to me and I was just able to hear these stories that were just appalling what they were putting up with and what they were trying to do and, and some that were being destroyed. Now, I have two daughters. One just mm. hit her early 30s. One is in her 20s. And so I'm at that age where I kind of look at them as daughters. You know, you, you, what would I do if my daughter was in this? So I just, I just wrote a blog about it and it just it went viral. I don't know if it's because I'd written Sacred Marriage. I don't know if it's because a white male pastor happens to be Southern Baptist Church was saying it, but it's got over 100,000 shares and people thought, well, there's another person who had been working on this issue and she had had her own website and she had had her own book and it, it actually wasn't a bad book. And she said, you know, I want you to read these two books, my book and this, my coworker's book. And I said, look, I'm not trying to market this. I'm not going to write on this. This was a blog post. Mm. I'm just being honest. I, I don't have time to read two books on a blog post that I just did, and I'm not yeah. going to do again. Because I, I, I know, Carrie, when I get into topics where I don't know the vocabulary and the way words are used, you, you try to step above your area of expertise, and it, it, you can cause harm because you don't understand all the issues. And she took it as an affront, as if her books weren't worthy of being read. And I, I was just trying to be honest with her. So all of a sudden, I was the enemy. Mm-hmm. And she organized attack reviews against sacred marriage and another book I had done. Um, and you can tell the reviews were posted. They hadn't read the books, but they were just there. And, and, and she had sort of her, her cadre and, and whatnot. And I was at first trying to placate her, and then things got worse. And then 
we allowed comments where they started attacking my wife and they're basically saying, you know what, what abusive men do is right against abuse to cover their own abuse. It's the perfect cover. And <laughs> that oh was enough. For, that was enough for my wife. She never comments, but, but she went in first. She didn't say who she was. Just this is this and this. She goes, I know this because Gary's my husband. He's the most gentleman. I'm, and then some of them started to say, oh boy, she's cowed. You know, she's covering for him. Oh. Well, at that point, okay, now they're taking on my, and then I've just said, I'm done with this. And, um, I felt challenged in prayer because I, I, I was losing this week. And just I felt God saying, Gary, you can write another blog post. You can write an encouraging email to some people that your encouragement would mean a lot to them. Or one of your kids or one of your friends, hey, I read this. You're not going to placate. And, and what happened since then anyway is this person's ministry imploded. She and her coworker broke apart because she went off in a terrible dis- dis- direction and she had to do a mea culpa to everybody that follows her. I'm sorry I've hurt so many and it was a waste of time because I believe that the toxicity even though she has a good a holy and a sacred cause when you pursue it in a toxic way when you're trying to do Christ's yeah. message without Christ's methods it, it it really can become tainted and I realized you know I I didn't I didn't strike out. I've never mentioned her publicly. I, I wouldn't now. Um, but eventually, if you're dealing with someone that's toxic, other people recognize that toxicity. Some will join around it, mm-hmm. but eventually, you know, no honor among thieves. They turn on each other. And so it was just a waste of time for me to deal with that situation like I did. No. I, I had to realize I'm not on this earth to defend me. I want to use every moment to exalt Christ. And when I deal with toxic people, my first sinful impulse is, how do I defend myself? That's wasted time. That's not seeking first the kingdom of God. That's trying to protect the kingdom of Gary. I think a lot of us, and I'm glad you raised the online situation. I wanted to get to that. But like online is just taking this to another level. And as uh, somebody who writes on the internet, we generally, I'd say 99.9% of the people who leave comments or send me notes are like just super encouraging. And my mission is to try to create a place for the good people on the internet. But that doesn't stop some trolls coming along and people getting very angry and the people who write in all caps. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of church. (laughs) Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? There's a lot of church leaders listening. There's a growing number of business leaders listening who have got that one star Google review on their business or, um, you know, that that really angry troll who just keeps attacking their church on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Um, I have tried to argue with those people, not argue, but I've tried to respond in kindness to those people. It almost never works. Is that normal? Couldn't you take off almost? Okay. Has it you know ever what? worked? There was one situation. There was one okay. guy okay. once. I'll give, I'll give you two scenarios. Okay. There was one guy. His name's Mike. There's a million Mikes out there. So if he's still listening, he'll know who he is. But there's a million Mikes out there. And he started sparring with me. And I thought, you know, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Anyway, we went back and forth. We didn't agree on much. One day he shows up at my church to thank me. Flew from the U.S. to Canada to thank me. And I'm like, okay, then it worked. Another yeah. guy that I gave a lot of time to and energy to 
just a, a, flip, uh, a switch flipped in his head one day. And when my last book came out, I know that's the guy who left the first one star review and just <laughs> lacerated me online. And I mean, it really, you're right. It rattled me. Like I could have done so much else with that day, but I let it get into my head. And I'm like, uh, and now I I, uh, I don't want to misquote Bob Goff. So Bob, if I get this wrong, you know, don't hate me. But I think because I asked Bob once, whether it was privately or publicly, I can't remember. It's like, what do you do with it? He goes, because, uh, you know, he's supposed to love everybody always. He's like, I learn as much as I can from them by going to their profile and then I block them. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, if Bob does that. Like, yeah. okay, so get rid of almost. You're saying you just can't win with those angry people who are leaving you one-star reviews. I have um, live in Texas, and there's just a lot of fun things about Texas culture. And there's this dear senior citizen stopped me after church last weekend. She said, thank you for this book. I needed this book. I so appreciate this book. And she goes, you know, we have a saying down here. She says, a bulldog can kill a skunk, but is it worth it? <laughs> And the thinking is you, Carrie, would probably have the intellect and the mastery of Scripture to completely humiliate this person. But you have to say, but is it worth it? You know, in the end, um, it is. Now, I had one time where a guy really challenged a blog post, uh, found out he's a pastor. So I, I texted, I said, why don't you call me? And we talked for about an hour, and he ended up using me in a sermon illustration. He sent me the sermon link about how to disagree in a way that honors God. If I sense the person disagrees with me, but it's not a toxic thing, yeah, I, I want to learn, and I'm happy, to, especially with, with, with somebody, if it's a man or woman that's in ministry, we, we can talk this over. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to trade barbs. I'm not going to try to one-up somebody, because again— uh, I, I think <laughs> I love that phrase. You might be able to kill a skunk. Is it is it worth it? Is it and, worth it? And I think what I'm trying to do because it's interesting. Trained as a lawyer, I I, I had a defining oh, moment boy. in my life. Oh yeah. Well, I know how yeah. to do it. I spent a year in court. I can, I I, I can yes. smell the jugular, and yes. I know how to go for it. And that's something I walked away from decades ago. It's like. Yeah, I have verbal skills. I have that mean spirit in me. I'm not going to live that way. What I'm trying to do, I'm like, I want to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's where a lot of Christians or kind people end up. It's like, I think I can make a difference in their life, but it almost never really pans out that way if someone is that angry. You you rarely get a Mike who actually says, you know what, you really helped me in that, that often they're they're just out to get you and you're saying, walk away, right? Walk away. Absolutely. going to fight. And, and, I, and I found that there are some people that they enjoy conflict. They, yep. they like the fight. And, and so just engaging in it and, and taking you down, it's, I read this fascinating study, I don't remember what it was, where it's almost like we've replaced hunting animals with hunting reputations. Whoa. And, and they live for who's the next mark. They wake up. That's when they get excited. Here's somebody that's vulnerable. I'm going to take this person down. Uh, and it, it's amazing to me. You, you can see it and you can see the mob mentality. And frankly, you can grow Twitter and Facebook and a blog by having these hunting tribes that just go after. Um, it, it challenge for me, I've been pretty ecumenical. Uh, my first book was on the Christian classics, which 
in 94 in evangelical circles, quoting Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox was very dangerous. I remember my publisher, it was Thomas Nelson back then, thrilled when J.I. Packer wrote an endorsement because here's this young guy, calls himself an evangelical, quoting all these Christian classics. But if he, J.I. Packer says it's okay, you know, that, that, that must be covered. okay. So I, I can enjoy stuff with, with one-liners that just shock me. I mean, I, I love Spiritual Combat by Lorenzo Scopoli, who's Roman Catholic. He ends every one of his chapters with a prayer to Mary. Now, <laughs> for some people, that would be enough to get it. Right. And then I'm, I'm reading on the Enneagram Richard Rohr's book, um, which has been very insightful. But he had this one line. He says, yeah, John quotes Jesus as saying, I forget what the statement was. He goes, of course, Jesus would never say that. <laughs> I'm like, what? I mean, you just, you just said, no, John quotes Jesus. And, and of course, you know, I, it, but I, I still read the book and I'm not going to do an yeah. attack on it because I, I read books to find out what's right with them, not to find out what's wrong with. Now, I appreciate those that read books to find out what's wrong. We need that personality. It's just not me. And, and so I'm, I'm just not going to be the one that engages in those online fights. It's yeah. not why somebody would follow me. Uh, I'm not discounting that there could be a ministry, a prophetic calling for some. It's just not mine. Yeah. Well, and uh, one of my favorite sayings is never wrestle with a pig. You both get dirty and the pig liked yeah. it. I don't know exactly. where that came from, but I love yeah. it. You got a couple of other examples. If you can go through them real quick, just so people see sort of toxic behavior. I thought you described them really well in the book. So uh, the roommate scenario, uh, if you remember um, yes. that one, college yes. roommate. And then you talked about, I think it was Alex who murdered his family, quote, murdered yes. his yeah. family. Can yeah. you just, because toxic behavior shows up over and over again. And the premise of your book, which I love, is that Christians and good people try to rescue these people, and they don't know when to walk away. So can you run us through those two scenarios yeah. quick? D different stories describe different parts of what it means to be toxic. The, the roommate one is describing that toxic people tend to murder. Now, that mm. sounds so dramatic. My wife is like, Gary, you started out with that. It sounds so dramatic. But by murder, I don't mean physically killing someone, but toxic right. people destroy office environments. They destroy people's confidence and peace and joy. They've been known to destroy churches. Uh, and in this case, it was an example of a young woman who had her freshman year of college murdered. She had a very toxic roommate assigned to her by the school. They had a three-person suite. She had chosen one roommate. The school assigned her this, this third one. And it was a kind of person who had to have a beef with somebody to get out of bed. It was somebody something that said or didn't say they did or didn't do. And she would pick fights. Like she would go into their personal spaces and rearrange things. And they'd been accommodating in the public square. Said, Could you leave our things alone? So then she would go next door. The walls were paper thin. It's a college dorm. And scream about how often awful her ones were. They, they would often be religious about it. She said, you know, I, I have this guy. He, he really is, is mature and he's great at exercising demons. I talked to him about you. He's pretty sure you have a demon. If you'll go home with me over the weekend, he'll exercise your demons and, and you'll, you'll finally be healed. And she, I'm just not up for that. Of course she thinks what, what kind of person can be healed from demons? Doesn't want to be healed from demons. But it, for her, just, just, just think back to being 
we can't think back, but imagine a young woman, her first year of college, she's breaking out from the stress, which was a big deal for her. She can't sleep because she's trying to come home when she thinks her roommate will be asleep. And then she tries to get out of there before her roommate wakes up. So she's listless. She's destroying her opportunity to meet other friends because she's hanging around this toxic person. And they're thinking, I don't want to be her. If that's the kind of people she has for friends, I want to have nothing to do with her. But she was raised with the belief that you prove your Christianity by being nice to the people that others can't handle. Mm-hmm. There's an element of truth to that, but it was destroying her ability to make new friends. It was destroying her ability to be involved and learn in her classes. It was de- destroying her physical health, and her mom finally got her out of there. Uh, the, the RA wouldn't do it. The RA thought, well, you know, young women need to learn how to just get along. So when she left uh, by Thanksgiving, the other roommate, now that's the focus, she was gone by Christmas, and they assigned another roommate who was gone by Easter. Holiday breaks were very unkind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and until the school finally got a feeling, well, okay, this isn't just your normal situation, but she had her freshman year murdered by that person. And, and that's where I, I warn leaders. I know there's a lot of leaders that listen to your podcast that when I've seen, this is anecdotal. I don't consider myself a guru to leaders. I'm not a leader, but I've been a follower. and I've been in organizations watching leaders. If leaders don't deal with somebody who's murdering the office environment and murdering relationships and murdering the vision, ultimately the toxic person murders the leader's job. They become accountable. If, you're if, right. if you're afraid to confront the toxic person, you become the toxic person's casualty because you allow such destruction to go on in the ministry of the office that eventually people have to say, look, this was under your watch um, yep. and there's the door. And the thing that got me about the college roommate, which sounds like it's a true story and, and certainly if it it's, is. It, yeah. it, it, it 100% true. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what amazed me about it is it doesn't matter how other people responded to her, she was going to agitate, disturb, bully, and ruin. Like she was addicted to conflict. And I think when we think about office environments, when we think about congregational environments, when we think about that toxic volunteer, that toxic staff member, people come to mind. It's like, it doesn't matter what I do. This person is just, oh, they're so difficult and they're never happy and they're always causing conflict. And you put out one fire and a bigger one starts burning. And that's a pattern of toxic behavior. And then um, I think this guy named Alex who murdered yes. his family, right? This yeah. is this narcissistic yeah, this is, guy. Yeah. And this is, uh, l- let me go to what you said before I, I, I get to Alex, because this, this is where I was so naive and it was mind blowing for me to get on it, especially as one who's talked so much to people about marriage to a toxic person. A healthy marriage is too boring to tolerate. To a toxic person, an office where people are accomplishing a mission, whether it's developing a product, growing in profits, that's too boring. A church centered around a mission where people are worshiping God, that's boring. They want to attack it. They want to murder it. They want to have intrigue. They want to sow division, and they want to gain control. I just didn't think of that kind of person existing, but, but that's the difference between a difficult person and a toxic person. 
A toxic mm. person is going to destroy. They're going to murder. With Alex, the way he murdered is he uh, he was a charismatic kind of guy, uh, had an affair early on in the marriage, and his wife responded. I won't go in. I don't want to give the details. Yeah, uh, again, I, I, I like to use real stories because I, I just think there's a truth, though I'll, I'll hide and change details. But his wife responded with amazing grace, not only to him, but to the woman with whom he had an affair. That's the kind of servant of God she is. She was concerned for this woman's soul. Well, he ends up with her. They move to a new place. She has her own ministry. He has his. Uh, because of his charisma, people are always asking him to do this. But, but his narcissism was this. He would murder her schedule because if he wanted an engagement, she would have to cancel whatever she had planned. So this is his wife or the person he had the affair with? Sorry, I no, just, I'm just trying wife. to follow. Yeah, okay, so they, they, the marriage survives. I just wanted to make sure I was tracking yes. with the story. The marriage, marriage survives. Survive. They're in another place, but he's, he's murdering her life. He murders her social schedule. Something comes up. She has to quit what she's doing. He murders her vocation in one sense where if he gets another job, he's not even considering her very important, crucial call. For God is using her right. in some powerful ways. So it's basically whatever he has to do, it takes priority. Right. And, and, and she was trying to do what she could, and, and, and he had to wear the right clothes, and so she would kind of scrimp on her own budget. So it really hurt her when they're at a, a, a gathering for where he works, and he sees this other woman in a really nice short black dress, and she compares that to what she's wearing, and she can see from the interaction that something's going on. She's seen this before. She just tries to tell him before. She said to him, Alex, I, I forgave you once, but I'm not going to ignore this again. And because she thought they were moving there. And the way he responded, let her know it wasn't a fear. It probably had already started happening. And, and he realized that what she was saying is true. She's not going to just live with this. Well, he's in a, the kind of business where his faith matters. They wouldn't put up with a divorce, certainly wouldn't put up with an affair. So what does he do? He starts to murder her reputation using prayer requests, going to the right people. I think my wife is mentally ill. Would you please pray for her? I need this strength. I need this. And he sets the stage so then he can get a divorce and immediately, I mean, we're not even talking days. He's thanking God for the comfort of this co-worker who happened to be wearing that nice little black dress um, that, that God sent. And, and what really sealed it for me, because my son saw this on Facebook as well, he had this picture of, of his marriage and he called her Mrs. John Doe, which, I mean, that had been this other woman's name before, claiming, you know, certain, and it's almost like, okay, you don't exist anymore. The and, ex-wife and doesn't what, exist, and this and, other person's replaced you. And what was so evil, as one who believes that Jesus defines holiness largely about fruitfulness, I don't know if we'll get into that, but pray for the Lord of the harvest. We need more workers. Undercutting somebody's ministry, he had to undercut her ministry because if people thought she had a valid ministry, then they would say, well, then why would you divorce her? <laughs> Why did you need to get away from her? And so he's not only trying to destroy her marriage and her ability to be with her kids, because now holidays are shared and it's 50% and whatnot. He's trying to destroy her reputation because then he's her not faulted. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to 
murder her ministry because that would undercut what he did. And if I was a senior pastor who refused to hire her because she'd been divorced, I'd be an accessory to the murder of her ministry. If that was the only thing I looked at, I would join in his murdering of what God's call was on her life. And Carrie, I feel like I need to take a shower like C.S. Lewis talked about when he wrote Screwtape Letters, why he was so done to be done. Describing somebody like that makes me sick. No, I have a physical... Or I didn't want to believe they existed. When you go, told go that ahead. story, it gave me a physical revulsion. When I read that story, it gave me a physical revulsion. Like that's just... But this narcissistic guy, it's all about him. And what's tough is a few names and faces flash through my mind. Like I know people like that. And he would be well-respected in his Christian milieu where he lives today. Yeah. And responsible for a lot of unchurched people, people like that. Um, so this is toxic behavior. And I think we've got a pretty good, thorough understanding of how it shows up. Um, we, there, there's such a line there. And I mean, your, your book title says when to walk away, right? Can you help us start to think through where those lines are with people. And let's, we're going to get into family. We're going to get into those really close ties, but let's just start with um, coworkers, people in your church, staff members, people in your organization, um, friends who might be toxic, who you kind of have the freedom to walk away from a little more easily than say a spouse or a parent or a boss. But let, let's just say, okay, you've got that online troll. You're just like, okay, I, I'm just not going to engage. That one's a little bit simpler. Yes. Um, but what, what are some of those lines, Gary? Can you walk us through the people yes. that we really do have freedom to walk Thank away you. from? Yeah. Another mark of toxic people besides a murder spirit is a controlling spirit. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have to avoid in the office or in, in your ministry. One of the biggest insights for me in studying this book was how uncontrolling God is. And the mm. reason that was so surprising is God is always right. I mean, if, if he controlled me, in one sense, I feel like I'd be better off. It would always be better to do what God wants me to do. But the Bible is set up with God not being controlling. Famous phrase from Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. Here's the truth, but you make a choice. And then you go to Revelation, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If you open up the door, I'm going to come in. But I'm knocking. I'm not breaking the door down. And then in the New Testament, it talks about demonic possession. Never talks about God possession. Hmm. Paul talks about being filled with the Spirit. But even then he says, the Spirit of the prophets is subject to the control of the prophets. And we have the example of Jesus walking away, the 41 citation. So God is not controlling. So when somebody is trying to control you, they're trying to assume something over your life that even God doesn't exert. That's Satan's method, not God's. They are determined to get you to do what they want you to do. And they'll use religious language. Hmm. Aren't Christians supposed to forgive? You haven't forgiven me. If you've forgiven me, you would trust me. Hmm. Because not that they care that you're acting like a Christian. They're trying to use your being a Christian to get you to do what they want you to do. It's a form and, of manipulation. Yeah, and it's it's the book of Nehemiah. We're going to pretend to be your friend. I'm, I'm warning you about this. You're going to be your threat. We're going to go to the king. 
They're slandering. Others are going to hear about this. They are just obsessed with controlling Nehemiah. And so I, I would say to every leader, have your radar up about when you're being controlled. Somebody can express their frustration. They can express their disagreement. But when they won't let go, okay, now you're in toxicity. They might disagree and say, okay, I'm disagreeing. But a toxic person can't say we're going to agree to disagree. Um, and, and it can be nice. Um, dear sweet woman, she said, please don't ever use me. So I can't. But she's an author, wonderful teacher, said, I've known three truly toxic people in my life. And two of them were the nicest people you've ever met. But that niceness was used to get people to do what they were determined you would do. Ah. Um, and then I, I think of a classic case. I, I, I mentioned this in the book, Kevin Harney, good friend, just a wonderful pastor out in California, growing church in Monterey. Um, not just growing, it's already grown. But the problem is, you know, real estate in Monterey, California. which I've been is there. Yeah. Not cheap. So his sermons have to be 29 minutes and 59 seconds because of the parking lot. You know, mm -hmm. you got to get people in and out. And so every Sunday he would preach these great sermons and he is a skilled teacher. He brings God's words. He brings ap application. And every weekend at one of the services, guy would come up, you know, Kevin, what you said is true, but you could have added this, or I think it would have helped people if you'd, and and Kevin would listen to him until finally he realized, please stop. You, yeah. You're undercutting my joy in preaching. You're undercutting my self-confidence. And you're keeping me from talking to earnest searchers. The 10 minutes, he goes in the back after the church. They have this room where people just come up to him. He was missing the opportunity to engage with earnest seekers and new people. And he had, this guy just wants to control his time. And he goes, I, th there was another 30 minutes I could give in that sermon. But look, I got a small parking lot and a big church. What am I going to do? So I, I think it's just being aware of he had a hard time. Maybe I, I don't think Kevin. Kevin's a stronger personality than me in, in every good way. But he had to walk away from that person to walk toward the other people that he could help. And you've got to be willing to make somebody angry and and maybe even hurt or afraid so that you don't hurt the 12 other people that that toxic person is controlling you and keeping you from. That's a big lesson for me. So when you get into that kind of controlling thing, I'll run you through a scenario that I had a number of years ago now, many years ago. But uh, our church was getting larger and there was one guy who insisted and he had a bit of a reputation among other pastors as, uh-oh, you've got so-and-so. And he wanted to meet with me and I had talked to some of my colleagues and it's like, okay, he's at our church now. Uh, this isn't going particularly well. There had already been, already been some unhealthy signs and he just insisted on meeting with me. And so I just said to him, look, I'm, I'm sorry, not able, you know, I gave him a nice kind of blow off answer. Yeah. And then he, uh, he emailed me and I'm like, no, I'm sorry, I'm not available. And then he called me and then he would not <laughs> let it go. Like just over and over and over again. And it calls and it became, your mom, right? <laughs> well, almost like it, it became an obsession of his, like, I'm going to meet with you. And he says, you need to hear my story. And finally, I had a phone call with him one day and I, he just said, well, when am I going to be able to meet with you? And I just said to him in no uncertain terms, I am never going to meet with you. You need to understand. I will never meet with you, not under any circumstances. And that was the end of it. 
Yeah. So you're a stronger person than me. Oh, I don't and, know. And, that and, took, and Kevin, hey, that took a few Kevin, years of leadership to, to go yeah. there. Uh, like that was a case study, right or wrong? Healthy, so unhealthy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me give an example of Nicole. Uh, she's later oh. in the book. I don't know if you came across her, but she is a woman. And, and again, I'm pr- protecting uh, identity Identities. who yeah. works in an industry that hasn't been favorable to women and a lot of blatant misogyny. I know some people are like, oh, or she's just, no. I mean, things like she would disagree with them and they would say, what time of the month is it? I mean, just oh blatantly gosh. like, yeah. you know, can, can, can you be more obvious? And, but she said actually, and, and uh, you know, she's a mature one. She goes, I think I actually drew more ridicule being a Christian than being a woman in, in her environment. That was like, that was was even worse. And, and so she would have people that would um, be toxic. And she said, it would be easy for me because of what I faced, particularly in this thing, to just say, I'm, I'm done with this. But she, she has a younger sister. And she goes, you know what? If, if I go, I think of the other women that might come up. I think of my sister. Somebody's got to fight this battle. And if it's going to be me, I'm going to do it. Um, so she, she found some things that really helped her. She prays for her coworkers. Because uh, she doesn't want to become toxic like them. I love this when she said it. She goes, because I'm never more tempted to be toxic than when I'm dealing with a toxic person. Hmm. And, and she found that praying for them kept her heart in the right place when she felt like, I've got to be around this person. I can't walk away. Um, she'll often double down on healthy friendships just to remind herself what a healthy conversation is like. Um, she likes to listen to a podcast. And, and here's one thing she said. My mission in life isn't to fight the toxic coworkers. It's to complete my mission at work and to do what the company hired me to do. Because toxic people, if they can control you by getting you to obsess over them or focus on them, they've won. And, and she learned, no, I'm not hired here to confront toxicity in the office. I'm hired here to get the job done. And what she said, and I think you've probably found this uh, with your leadership skills. She said, I found after dealing with a bunch of them, it gets easier. They're not very creative. You you start to smell it out. You start to see, yeah, I've dealt with this before. And and she goes, if you will deal with the first few in a a searching way, a discerning way, even getting some counsel. After a while, it's like, yeah, yeah I've done this before. You're not going to get my attention. I'm not going to play your game. You're not going to draw me in. And, and so she's found um, that she can still work with toxic individuals because she says, I'm not going to let them chase me out of a productive career and making a mark and using the gifts that I believe that God has given me. Uh, but she's a stronger person than some of us. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I tend to be more sensitive. I'm not as able to to do that quite as well as um, well, that, that took me a few years, and and that you know for Nicole, I think you used the name for her. She yeah. that's a great advice if you don't have power or control. In other words, I'm really co- committed to my career. She may not have a lot of options in her city to go to another company or the whole industries like that, and so she's set some pretty healthy boundaries. Like I'm going to pray for these people. I'm going to have healthy friends. I'm going to call a day here and just, I'm not going to play your game. So that's really good advice. But there's a lot of leaders listening who do have power and control. They're the boss, they're the CEO, they're the pastor, they're the leader, they're, and they've got toxic people on their team. Is it possible to manage a toxic person? And I'm talking not just difficult. Is it one, I wanted to ask you this earlier, is the difference between a difficult person and a toxic person 
that a difficult person will respond to coaching and a toxic person won't? Or what yes. is what is the distinction? I, so, I, I think that's I think that's a great way to put it. Okay. Um, I I would warn leaders away from keeping a toxic person if they're destroying and they're yeah. controlling. The third thing we didn't talk about is that they love to hate. Um, hmm. I use the verses in Colossians three where Paul describes what we're supposed to take off anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. And then the positive things, compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, patience, and, and gentleness. Uh, so if if somebody is, is lying, they come alive when they're angry, they have malice, they're slandering, they're causing division. I, I just would warn them because I've seen so many leaders lose their job when they let that happen. Mm-hmm. But when you do have power, you're the one that I think has to step in. I tell the story of a golfer, a good friend of mine, Jonathan Bird, who um, has played on the PGA Tour for probably a couple decades now. And there's I, I, we call him Golfer X in the book. I don't want to out anybody, and Jonathan's not going to do that. But he's notorious on the tour for his – he abuses everybody uh, verbally volunteers and and what a lot of people don't realize because there's so much money on the PGA tour they have volunteers for every tournament mm-hmm. i mean most of the people working a tournament are volunteers and and Jonathan Bird a very sensible guy committed believer says you know what they would have to cut our earnings in half if they were paying everybody that's helping us but some golfers get this sense of entitlement and he was berating fans he was berating officials um you can get away with it just about anywhere, maybe not Augusta, because that's right. a world in its own right, but just about every other course. So they were at a course where he was just just having a bad day, and it was a Sunday where both Jonathan and Golfer X knew we're not winning, and we're not going to take away a lot of money. It's sort of like finish your round, get on your private plane, and go home, right, and, and, and live to fight another battle. And so Golfer X was getting more and more frustrated and they came up to a tee, and the, the volunteer marshal there, because it was a blind tee shot, mm-hmm. um, the golfer X started doing some practice swings, and, um, and the, the volunteer marshal said, hey, uh, golfer X, they're still on the fairway. And golfer X says, no blank, 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 you blank, blank, blank. Oh. And, and, he, you know, he, and Jonathan just said, apologizing to him. He goes, for what? He goes, for being a jerk. Now, he didn't say jerk. I'm keeping this as a PG thing. Yeah, thank but, you. But Johnson said, look at what, he's, he's, he's just doing his job. And, and I, I was shocked. Uh, and I asked Johnson, well, what, what happened with his drive? He goes, oh, he drove it out of bounds. <laughs> I said, a little justice right I there. I go, what happened for the rest of the round? He goes, well, we didn't talk. I mean, he was just angry. Oh. But here's the thing. He didn't talk to Jonathan for the rest of the round, but he didn't berate another spectator, another caddy, or he was just stewing in his own world. And that's where when you have the power, Jonathan had the power as a fellow player to say, I see a toxic guy ruining people's day and I can speak up and do something about it. I think if you're in a position where you can, um, you should, because a lot of people feel either they're weak or they're too overly sensitive, or they're guilt-ridden. And, and I think it's your job as a shepherd to, to sort of warn the flock away from these toxic people. Paul and John, even John, the apostle of love, 
mention people by name. Watch out for these people. And so I think if leaders decide not to fire somebody, I think they've got to at least quarantine them so that that doesn't go on. They put their own jobs at risk if they don't. Um, I'm going to ask you a hypothetical here, but there's probably some leaders who are like, wow, I likely have to release this person, let them go. Whether that you can fire volunteers, you can fire staff members, you can transition people off the team, but it's like, yep, uh, they already have somebody in mind. Now, my own experience and most leaders I know would say the hardest thing in leadership is removing people from your team. That's always been my least favorite thing I've had to do. And you don't have to do it often, but I've had to do it. I don't think I've ever had to remove a toxic person, but I can only imagine, I have from volunteer, but not staff, but I can only imagine that toxic person would try to control, belittle, manipulate, like, it's not my problem, it's your problem, Gary, you have the problem, you're, right? Can you talk us through what happens if the bullying starts in that conversation or, you know, you almost get sucked back into their force field of manipulation and lying and cheating like how do you draw a boundary where you're like actually carrie it's just your last day um yes can you can you walk us through how to not get sucked back in or let fear destroy your resolve as a leader there are three things that jesus did with judas that i bring up when i'm dealing with a toxic person because jesus didn't walk away from judas for his own purposes we know judas was toxic um but Jesus let him be there. And so a couple of things from that that strike me. First, Jesus didn't view his mission as stopping toxic people from sinning. I, I just want to put that out there because that would be surprising to some Christians. Jesus knew Judas was a thief because John knew Judas was a thief. If John knew Judas was a thief, Jesus knew Judas was a thief. Jesus didn't address it because that, that was a smaller issue. I, I think Jesus knew Judas had a lot of issues going on. He's preparing his disciples. He's fulfilling his mission. He's doing his public ministry, his public teaching. And so just because I see somebody sinning doesn't mean I'm responsible for being the detective, the policeman, the judge, the jury, and the prosecuting attorney. I I can let that go, which for some people at family gatherings, that's such a freeing message. (laughs) just because you see somebody sinning doesn't mean you have to try to be but but second jesus didn't let so uh i i don't think when you fire a toxic person to go back to your question that you have to try to fix them Mm -hmm. i think as a leader it's you know what we're gonna go away and 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 they might try to control and say well you do this well that's fine you can do what you're gonna do but this is your last day you know you're Mm -hmm. you're removing all doubt the second thing that Jesus did is he didn't let Judas's toxicity become his. He washed Judas's feet before he walked out of there to betray him. You know, when you look at the chronology of the Gospels, Judas was still there when he washed their feet. So Jesus didn't let Judas's hatred and, and, and you think of what Judas was given. I mean, Carrie, what would we pay for a ticket to be with Jesus for a weekend? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's incalculable to think what Judas had, what Jesus gave him that was given to a relative few, and yet he sells Jesus out. And Jesus could say, you skunk. Look, you see me, you've heard, you've had the best teaching, the, the best example, literally the only person who's had a 
perfect discipler, and he still sells him out. But Jesus washes his feet. Uh, he, he, he calls him friend when Jesus, when Jesus comes. I mean, it's just amazing. But what I also love is that this is a third thing. Jesus spoke truth to crazy. In order to be nice, when you're letting a toxic person go, Jesus didn't round the corners and he didn't speak polite lies. No, whoever betrays me, it'd be better if you were never born. I know you're mm. going to betray me. And Judas says, am I the one? And she goes, yeah, yeah, you're the one. He, he said, I know what you're going to do. And, and then when Judas comes to betray him with a kiss, Jesus says, you're going to betray me with a kiss? Mm. Judas, I know what you're doing. You, you're pretending this. No, I, this is not. So he, he would call him out. And so I, I think we, we can look at uh, don't get sidetracked with the little things. The overall issue is you're going to go. Don't let their toxicity be your toxic. Don't try to control them. Well, you should get a job like this, or, or I'm not going to let you do that. And then don't speak truth to crazy. No, I'm letting you go. Actually, I think you've had a toxic influence. You've turned these five employees against each other. You undercut our mission. If we're moving along, you bring drama into the office. And the reality is, I, I think you have a toxic influence. I'm, I'm not going to pretend that we're just laying you off. I'm not going to pretend that you are misguided. I, I, I think what you're doing is toxic. So uh, that's what Jesus did. But let me say, Carrie, I'm not a leader. I'm not in charge you're of an organization. The but only that resonates. authority no, I have. firm boundaries resonate. Yeah, yeah, is, is over this little puppy that we just got. So um, <laughs> I, 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 I hate to lecture so many good leaders that listen to you when this is all, this is academic. No, um, I get I, it, I, I but the book the is really helpful. Like that's why I wanted to have you on is I thought it's got some really, really good stuff. And that resonates from a leadership standpoint. And I think what we do in the church and what Christians do is we often sugarcoat really sinful, dysfunctional behavior or we spiritualize it. And uh, it took me a lot of reps and a lot of learning to say, no, we're just going to call this. And actually, it's not working out. It's not that um, God doesn't love you, but you just can't do this anymore. Sorry. So I thought that was really helpful, Gary. Let's talk about um, marriage, because some people oh. are saying, oh, my goodness, I think I'm married to Alex, who murdered his wife and family, yes. or uh, I think my spouse is toxic. Now, my wife actually has worked in family law, divorce law. Uh, and she would say, and she's been on the record as saying, she's never met anybody who divorced who didn't say their spouse wasn't emotionally abusive. So, I mean, there's right. that I know. there's that I know. easy thing to not look in the mirror and to look at your spouse. But for real, there are people, and you've already indicated that this is something close to your heart, who really have a toxic spouse. Any thoughts for them? Yeah. This was the hardest chapter for me to write. In fact, yeah. if people go to the book... The first chapter on toxic marriage, which I don't know what chapter it is, 17 or 18, I, I don't remember. But I say, I open the chapter, if this is the first chapter you're reading, because I've written so much on marriage, please don't. Go back. <laughs> don't. Because it yeah. takes me a couple chapters to set it up. The chapter that sets it up is A New Allegiance, where Jesus makes it very clear for his followers that allegiance to his blood and mission supersedes allegiance to familial blood and marital bonds. 
He makes that clear in many didactic passages and in his own example. Who are my mother and brothers? Those who hear the word of God and, and, and obey it. So Jesus is claiming a new allegiance. Uh, and then I, I talk about the skeleton of Scripture. I'm not a scientist. I may have this exact number wrong, but I think we have something like 206 bones in our body. Hmm. But if you take away a few of the ones, you're in trouble. You take away a person's hip bone, they've got 205 bones left over, they're in trouble. Not if you take helpful. away <laughs> seven bones that make up the neck, you know, you're, you're, and I think in scripture, what I often have missed is, and these aren't all the bones of scripture. We don't have time to get into theology, but three crucial bones. You have creation, the fall and redemption. And so often as a church with God's institutions, with the church, with family, with government, we go from creation to redemption and we forget that bone of the fall and that skeleton of scripture where evil has penetrated every institution that God has made. And scripture always makes provision for that. It says respect authority because God instituted it. And there are examples of people resisting, you know, secular authority. Um, it, it, it talks about parents, you know, kids obey your parents and Lord for this is right. But fathers don't exacerbate your children. So, and, and then even in marriage, um, you, you see times where, and, and this is so hard because I've given my life to support marriages, but as a pastor in Houston, the nation's fourth largest city, when Carrie, I saw people being destroyed. That murderous, it was a slow murdering of their mission, their joy, their peace. And when I finally realized, when I'm talking with this couple, and I, I, it's not always the guy that's toxic. I, guys listening, I'm, I'm, I'm fully aware of that. Trust me, I've worked with those marriages. But just for the example, when I realized this guy doesn't want a healthy marriage, this guy wants to preserve marriage so that he can keep terrorizing and destroying his wife. And I didn't realize that a guy can get this sick, sadistic pleasure destroying someone. Now, it's an exception. It's not the rule. And I think what's hard for me, sacred marriage, I believe, was grossly misapplied when people took, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy, to keep people in abusive marriages. Yeah. It broke my heart when I heard that. But you know what? When to walk away will be abused. When somebody will say, I've got a toxic spouse, I'm out of here. When they have a difficult spouse or a different spouse and they're looking for excuse. And I, I don't know how to get around that. It, it breaks my heart. It's the limits of books. It's the limits of teaching. But I do think as a church, our job is to oppose evil. And if we got to discern that this woman is being destroyed or this man is being destroyed and their mission is being destroyed. I, I think we have to oppose evil. Even though God created marriage as an institution, God created the Sabbath. And in the Old Testament, if you didn't respect the Sabbath, you know this, Carrie, it was yeah. a capital punishment. Mm -hmm. And yet Jesus comes along and says, you know what? You guys are using the Sabbath to hurt people. The Sabbath was created for humankind, not humankind created for the Sabbath. And, and, and so I think in the same way that uh, we, we want to push against the easy divorce, because I've seen divorce used as a weapon where somebody just got bored with their spouse or disappointed mm -hmm. with their spouse mm -hmm. or they fell in love, quote unquote, with someone else. That is evil. 
to leave somebody for that reason, that is adultery and we have to oppose it. But when marriage is giving somebody a platform to spew toxicity and you see an individual's life being destroyed, um, that's where as a, I, I, I had to grow and say I, I, might, I almost felt like Dietrich Bonhoeffer saying there came a time when he had to try to assassinate Hitler. It, it seems so against everything I grew up with. But when you see that one time of a Hitler saying somebody has to stop this, I almost felt like I was pushed into that with toxic marriages. Now, it will be defined too widely by some, but it did open up the door for me a time when I feel like we have to say, I, I, I need to address this. And, and, and let me just say, because some will push back against this, how will the evangelical church deal with Luke 18, 29 through 30, when Jesus, all right, this isn't Gary, Jesus says, no one who has left home or wife, or brothers, or sisters, or parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus opens the door for a person. Now, I want to say, but that doesn't mean a guy ignores his family for his ministry. That doesn't mean a woman ignores her family for the sake of her ministry. That's been the danger of previous ages. But I wonder if we'll leave that door open, that Jesus leaves that door open when somebody's mission is being eclipsed and a toxic person is destroying them, Matthew 7, 6, we may need to step in as a church and say, uh, this is what's going on and, and, and we need to get you to a safe place. Okay. All right. Last question for you is what about those invol those those relationships that you really can't dissociate yourself from easily like a, a marriage is hard but you know you think about a parent or a child or you're always a son you're always a daughter you're always a mom you're always a dad or let's say somebody who's in a horribly toxic environment we kind of touched on this but just doesn't have a lot of employment options uh, you know, and you got a boss that's kind of yeah. off the chain. Uh, anything for those where there's a little less discretion and, uh, you know, it's like, wow, we're going to have Christmas and Thanksgiving no matter what. So, or I got to earn a paycheck. I, I would question the no matter what on the Thanksgiving sure. and Christmas. Uh, I, I would go back to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, his life together. Uh, people remember, I bet a lot of the people listening to you have read that, where he, in a revolutionary way, tried to say, we need to build the community within the local church so strong that it it becomes a a high allegiance to us, maybe even over a family that doesn't share our faith. Um, And I say that because I found, like, for instance, when I work with a lot of premarital couples, and a woman that's come out of a dysfunctional background. And I'm thrilled when she chooses a good guy because a lot of people out of dysfunctional backgrounds marry a dysfunctional mm-hmm. person because that's what mm-hmm. they're familiar with. So when as a pastor you see, oh, she's making a great choice. I'm so excited. And then nine months after she's in this great marriage with a great guy, I, I need to go back and fix my mom or I need to go back and fix my dad. And I'm like <clears> – <throat> You know, God has given you a new family to focus on. And at some point, you have to accept that. And, and I, I said to one guy whose mom, uh, his, his mom was just toxic in her negativity, undercutting his wife. And they had had a tough year, Carrie, financially. Um, 
with one of their kids. I mean, it had just been a tough, tough year. And his wife said to him at the start of December, look, honey, I just don't know that I can survive a Christmas with your mom. When I'm strong and I have the energy, I can face it and recover. It takes me weeks. I don't know if I have it. And so he says, Gary, I'm, I'm supposed to honor my mom to her, the gospel of family above all else. This will be a statement of war. And I said to him, you honor your mom by treating her as if she's healthy. <laughs> I, I, I go, you're, you're a husband first. And uh, uh, let me stress, because there's also been kids who've tried to punish godly, Bible-believing parents by maliciously withholding their presence because their right. parents don't accept some bad decisions they're making. This was a case where he knew his wife really wanted to please him and his mom, that his mom really was toxic. Um, and I said, I, I treat her, and I just use an example. Look, if my son who's married called me and said, dad, it's Christmas. We just can't make it. It's for our, best for our marriage. I said, if I'm healthy, I'd say, buddy, I'm proud of you. You're making the wise decision. I raised you to put your marriage first. We're going to miss you. I'm so sorry you're not going to be here, but I'm proud of you. I wouldn't make him feel guilty. I wouldn't declare war. I wouldn't punish him. And I said, we have got to stop feeling bad about unhealthy people having unhealthy reactions to healthy decisions. Yeah. You make the healthy decision. You do what you know it's right. You know your wife isn't acting out of spite. In, In that case, you may need to walk away. Now, in another example, if it's an uncle that's there, you don't want your kids not to see their grandparents, but you can walk away into the next room. When he starts spouting the politics or the theology, whatever, you just say, I'm going to find a nephew or a niece that I can encourage, that I can bless, that, a, a, a grandparent that I can learn from. So you're, you're walking away into the next room. You're not walking away from the event. But if in this case your wife's going to be damaged, you may have to walk away from the event. I think you've got to be a husband first. Wow. I I can see that uh, this could easily be a much longer conversation. And I would encourage people to get the book. It's really, really solid. It's called When to Walk Away. And uh, and it's not thin either. Like there's there's a lot of substance here. So and much more nuanced than we can even cover in an hour. However, you do, and I want to finish on a positive note, you encourage people to find what you call reliable people. Yeah, thank Uh, you. Yes. Yeah. And so let's finish there because it's not just the elimination of toxic people. It's finding some reliable people because in my experience, sometimes you look around and people are really conflicted and it's like, wow, look at your friends, look at the people that you hang out with. Like, I don't know that this is helping you. So what is your definition of a reliable person? Uh, I use two passages for that. I use Jesus's great commission when he says we're to find disciples and he defines them, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So this might be surprising to some, but I would define reliable by somebody who surrendered to Jesus and humble enough to want to be obedient to Jesus. Hmm. And then Paul in second Timothy two, two just says, whatever you've heard in the presence of many others entrust to reliable people who are competent or qualified to teach others. So somebody who's willing to obey and somebody who will invest in others, that's putting together Jesus's words and Paul's words in 2 Timothy 2.2. And, and, and Carrie, that was my real p- 
passion to write this book. I wanted to start the book with reliable people. My editor wisely said, don't do it. But it, it took me seven chapters, but I couldn't wait to get there because the only reason I want to walk away from toxic people isn't for my self-protection. It's not for my psychological health. Not that that's bad, but I'm not a psychologist. It's a ministry strategic decision to invest and in reliable people. I don't have time to spin my tires with toxic people. They're just going to resent it, try to turn and tear me to pieces, going back to Matthew 7, 6. I, I, th there aren't enough of us. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers, which means every worker should make the most of their time. Now, most of us can't do that to the extent that Craig Rochelle did in the podcast he talked about with you earlier, where mm. you know he, he he's changing the amount of time that it takes him to get coffee in the morning. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you hear That's that? Quite remarkable. But, but we can all become more uh, effective and zealous and enthusiastic to invest in reliable people. And that's what gives me freedom to walk away from toxic people. Is this the best person to spend my time with? And then it's not so that I can binge yeah. watch Netflix. Yeah, you're not it's in so a that vacuum. I don't want to be bothered. As, as a Christian, I live to be bothered. It's to fulfill the Great Commission and, and Paul's perspective of that in 2 Timothy 2, 2, to find the people that God has convicted, who are humble, who want to obey, and who are qualified and will invest in others. That's where we should spend the bulk of our time. Well, that's really helpful. And it's it's good because you're right. It's not just the absence. It's, it's not the, uh, the absence of bad. It's the presence of good and healthy that makes a big difference. And um, I, we will link in the show notes to John Townsend's interview, the one I did with him, because he really broke down how to find those reliable people. And I've found you have to be intentional about it. You have to actually yes. develop and nurture friendships that are going to be good for you. And hopefully it's a mutual win-win for that. Gary, anything else you want to share as we wrap up? Uh, no, let me just add on to what, what you said. My senior pastor here, Dr. Ed Young uh, at Second Baptist has said, Jesus chose his disciples and so should we. Uh, and, and that's the opposite of the controlling toxic person we talked about. Why well, you said to that guy, you'll never meet with him. That's not a cruel statement. If you determine Jesus chose those he was going to spend time with, I need to as well. I have limited time, limited years, limited energy. And, and so I want to make the most of that time to seek first the kingdom of God. There we go. Hmm. Fit Matthew 6, oh, 3. that's awesome. Okay, the book's called When to Walk Away. It's available anywhere books are. And if people want to connect with you online, um, are you active on any social channels, website, that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, GaryThomas.com is my website, GaryThomas.com. And that has the social media handles. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and sort of on Instagram. Sort uh, of. <laughs> my, I have an assistant that's getting me into that. Uh, I've been more on, on Twitter and Facebook. I have a, a weekly blog that's more focused on marriage uh, and relationships, although later this year we're going to be doing one that's focused more on spiritual formation as well. But that's also at GaryThomas.com, and they can find that. Gary, it's been so good to connect with you. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm honored to be on the list, Gary. Uh, you've got a great work going, and uh, it's just it was an honor to be asked. I'm so glad we could have that conversation. And stay tuned for the What I'm Thinking About segment, where I talk about how do you make sure you don't become a toxic person, because... Well, once or twice in my life, I may have been that person. <laughs> and uh, in a crisis like this, it's easy to get worn down. I'm going to give you some best practices. I hope that'll help 
you. If you want more, we've got show notes. You can find it at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 331, where you will find transcripts and quotes and other things you can share. If you found this episode helpful, please share it on social media. Tag me. I'm at Kerry Newhoff on Instagram, at C Newhoff on other platforms. And uh, we'll interact with you as much as possible online. And really thank you for helping us get the word out. We want to provide just a library of stellar interviews that help you, well, lead like never before, as we said. Now, uh, next episode, we've got uh, something really exciting for you. And by the way, if you subscribe, you're also going to get Tim Keller and Mike Todd who come up in the next month. A lot of you are asking about those interviews. Yes, they are still coming. In the meantime... Uh, let's talk about uh, what I'm thinking about, which is how to keep yourself healthy in this crisis. And uh, this is brought to you by our friends at Pro Media Fire, who want to help you with some free resources that you can share before Easter at greatnews.world. And then remember the good work that ICM is doing in helping developing nations get the tools they need to minister effectively. Uh, you can check them out at icm.org forward slash carry. So uh, what do you do to keep yourself healthy in the midst of this crisis? Well, I know for me <laughs> that as much as I struggle with toxic people, there has been a season or two where I have become that toxic person. And uh, in a crisis like this, you're probably navigating things on little sleep. You're having to make a thousand decisions a day and it's exhausting and you don't know what's happening next. And in fact, a lot of us have never led in this kind of environment before. So what do you need to do? Well, I wanna walk you through quickly the three cardinal pillars, I think, of good health as a leader. And this is exactly what you've read in every book you've ever read, what your doctor has told you, what people who love you have told you, but it's simply this, sleep, diet, exercise, sleep, diet, exercise. And those are the first things to go in the middle of a crisis. You're not sleeping as often. Uh, your diet, I know restaurants aren't open the way they have been in the past, uh, but maybe you reach for the pantry rather than the fridge and you got that bag of chips or whatever. And then exercise. It's like, I don't have time to exercise, but you do those three and you're going to be in much better shape. So I know you already know that, so I'm not going to dwell on those, but I'm just going to say, don't forget. Like if you're exhausted, go to bed early. A rested you is a better you. A healthy you is a better you. And everybody, your family, your, your spouse, your team, they all benefit when you're healthy. But here are three other practices that really help me when I'm trying to navigate a crisis and I'm exhausted. Because when I get exhausted, I make terrible decisions. It's just, it's just a reality, right? So here's, here's a practice that maybe is not as common as sleep, diet, and exercise. I call it walking away. Um, your brain can only process so much and the same goes for your heart. And these are unprecedented times. And you're thinking, okay, it's a crisis. I got to push through. And yes, sometimes you do. Some days you are going to run on fumes, but, but that, that can't happen forever. It just can't happen forever. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, at some point you should take a break. Well, the challenge with that, if you're a responsible leader, and I try to be a responsible leader is, there's never time to take a break. It's like, well, I can't take a break. Look at people are in crisis. I can't take a break, which means, and this is the hack I tell myself, Carrie, it's time to walk away. So the first practice is to simply walk away. And what that means is you're going to have work undone. You're going to have important work undone, um, but you can't just push through it anymore. You're exhausted. You need a break and you've got to think of it as walking away and you'll be walking away. This is the hardest part from need. Because in a crisis, there's always more to do. The need never goes away and you can never do enough. But remember this, leaders who never take a break 
end up breaking. And you're going to have to take that break, which means for a season, maybe for a half hour, an hour, or the rest of a particular day, you just kind of walk away, you take care of yourself, and you go back at it tomorrow or in a few hours or after dinner or after lunch. So give yourself permission to walk away. And I know you're probably, you know, my fear is, well, what about, what about, what about? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of leaders who like walk away all the time. I'm, I'm going to assume you're not one of them. So a restored you, a rested you is a better you. An empty leader is incapable of filling anyone. So that's discipline number one. Number two, carve out some silence. Uh, every day, find at least a few minutes of solitude alone. I've got a full day ahead of me. I'm actually recording this at 6.34 a.m., but I got up about an hour ago and I spent the first half hour just quietly with a cup of tea, my favorite morning beverage, with um, my Bible and some time to pray and journal and just sit in the silence. Let your mind wander, ponder problems, pray, think, meditate. And the silence will actually be your friend. It'll help you filter through what matters in the midst of all the noise. You will also, from time to time, stumble upon breakthroughs that result from giving your mind and soul some space and you'll find yourself replenished. So even if it's 10 minutes a day, find some time for solitude. And then the final discipline I would say is just talk to a friend. Um, now as a leader, you're surrounded by people. Even if you're social distancing or in isolation or uh, you know shelter at home or whatever you find yourself in, when you listen to this, you're still surrounded by people. You're on Zoom calls all day, you're on the phone all day, you're emailing people all day, and you're like, yeah, no, Carrie, I got lots of people in my life. But here's the challenge, if you're a leader, you're in a giving position in those. In other words, you're leading these people. And that's as it should be, but it can be a little bit draining. And what friendship is, is mutually life-giving. And so think about a friend, somebody that you maybe don't necessarily work for and they don't work for you, um, that really replenishes you and have a conversation with your friend. Talk to a friend because otherwise, all the relationships in your life end up being a relationship where you end up giving. So those are three disciplines that have really helped me in a crisis, things I'm trying to practice. Uh, and as hard as it sounds, sometimes you need to walk away. You also need to carve out some silence. I would suggest daily. I love to do it in the morning. And uh, talk to a friend, like an actual friend, because you're giving, giving, giving. Crisis leadership is a series of withdrawals. And uh, eventually, if you have no deposits, uh, you're going to go bankrupt. And I don't want to see that happen. And if you practice those disciplines of sleep, diet, exercise, and the others I've just described, you'll be in a place where I think you can weather this for the long run and you will avoid becoming that toxic person. Well, I hope this is helping you in the midst of it all. We are back with a fresh episode next time. Uh, really looking forward to that conversation with David Kinneman and Scott Beck. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.